Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Good. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 and 7 says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And I want to pick up out of that just this exhortation to the one who leads to do so with zeal. And I want to speak this morning about the value of a leader. And this is going somewhere, it has a purpose, it has a context, which I think will become apparent to us. Paul says this is a gift out of the grace that is given to us. These are the things we do not because we're trying hard. These are the things we do not because we've worked hard at them, but because God has graced us. So the one who prophesies, prophesies out of the grace that is upon his life to speak the words of God into other people. And, and likewise, the one who leads, leads not out of... Um, Education doesn't lead out of natural strength, but leads out of the grace that God has deposited upon that person. And, and I'm wanting to speak about this because his, Hillside has a history of a seriously strong culture of leadership. Not a culture of strong leadership necessarily, but a strong culture of leadership, if you can hear the difference between those two things. We, we come from a past where we have honored leadership at the expense of pretty well everything else. Leadership was kind of put right up there as this amazing thing. I was chatting to someone yesterday and they, they talked about our common history and they used the phrase, the idolatry of eldership. And, and there's, there's truth in that, that eldership, the office of the elder was put on such a platform that this was the thing above all else that anybody who was anybody aspired to. And this, is, this was your, your goal in life was to attain to that status. And the, the elder was this um, all-powerful, amazing person who could do all things and no one who was not an elder could do anything. And, and, and it was a culture that we lived in a number of years ago. And out of that came, I think, a huge element of the fear of man, that actually human authority gained a dominance and a respect that was probably even unhealthy. So we've spent a good season dismantling that culture, saying, actually, this is inappropriate. It is idolatrous. It is unhelpful. It's maybe even abusive. We want to undo that culture. And as a result, we have honored absolutely everything else except leadership. We have honored the prophet. We have become the eagle's nest where the prophet, we listen to the prophet's voice, we give space to the prophet. We, we have honored the teacher. We have honored the, the 
noticed people. We have honored the band. We have honored the evangelist who goes out on the street. We have honored mothers. Mothers be honored today. We have honored fathers. We have honored our kids when they've stepped out. We've honored everything except leadership. We've even come to the point where we've, we've retired the title of elder because of all the history and the baggage that it carried with it. We said, well, let's sit that on one side. Yes, it's biblical, but maybe it's become unhelpful for us. So we set that on one side and we just really try hard not to use it. And it's, it's almost become, and maybe some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, but bear with me because it's going somewhere good. That, that leadership is almost a necessary evil in Amid. So something you kind of, you need it, but, but, but it's dangerous. It can hurt you. So leadership has become a muzzled beast. You must, you must keep it in chains in case it gets out of hand because it might hurt somebody. So we, we tie it down. And as in the past, we have over-honored leadership and people wanted to be leaders for all the wrong reasons. Now we have removed honor from the leader. And as a result, Hillside is in the midst of a significant leadership vacuum. Is that right? Where there's a kind of a hole in the middle that used to be occupied by all sorts of leaders doing all sorts of things. And, and we have, we've emphasized ministry, and that's been fantastic. But the leadership gift itself has not been honored. And, and I really believe it is time to correct this. And, and it's, it could sound rather self-serving for someone who obviously is a leader to speak about the value of a leader. But please hear me, that's not my heart today. I'm not here to reap uh, a crop of honor and adulation or anything like that. That's really not what it's about. But it is about this, that Hillside is full of burnt-out ex-leaders who need to know there is value in the grace that they still carry. Because the gifts of God are without repentance. And, and I believe this is the beginning of a calling out of a new season, a new generation of people who are ready to stand up and be leaders in our midst. So I want to talk about what is the value of a leader. What does a leader add? What do we miss out on if we don't have a leader in this context? Well, the context of leadership is change. A farmer works in the context of the land to produce food. A teacher works in a context of ignorance to produce wisdom and understanding. A manager works in a context of complexity and probably chaos in order to produce stability and order and predictability to things. And we have some great managers in Hillside. I think with Jill and Faye are amazing. Stephen in the coffee shop, Roger with the buildings, he's evaporated. Where did Roger go? Okay. 
Um, th th this, the, the, we have some great management skills in the midst of Hillside. But management is not leadership. And I'm not saying these people aren't leaders as well. But management and leadership is different because leadership works in the context of change. Leadership is all about change. It's about a new destination. It's about becoming a new people. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is at hand, therefore repent. This is the biggest change in the history of the world. This is it. This is the change moment. And we are part of a movement, a 2,000-year-old movement, which is focused on the bringing of change into this world. That's, that's what we're about. That's what we do. That's what we're engaged in. So we, in a sense, are all leaders in relation to the world because we're leading them into a place of change. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We are, we are change agents in the world around us. But it's, it's, it's a process that we are ourselves walking into. The kingdom is already and not yet. And tomorrow is more kingdom than today. So we are walking into change. And then, of course, the world is changing around us hugely. In the last 20 years, stuff has changed beyond recognition. I think if we went to ourselves 20 years ago, it would be quite a wake-up call. I think, my goodness me, how, how stuff has moved on in the last 20 years. So therefore, we need leaders to take us into a future in a world that's dynamic and changing around us. Sometimes it just means holding firm as the environment changes. So in, in this context of change, what is it that a leader brings for us? And I want to speak about three things that a, a, a leader does bring, three values that a leader adds to us. And the first is simply focus. A leader brings focus to us. In the midst of change, what is the future that we are heading towards? What, what are we focusing upon? The winds of change can blow us in many directions. And we can end up here or there. And, and you know what church is like. People are full of good ideas. We can do this, and why don't we do that? And we could go here, and we could be that, and whatever. And, and all of those things are amazingly valid. But focus is required to say, actually, but this is what we're about. The good is the enemy of the best. So the leader has a job of saying this, not that. It's, it's, it looks like this, it doesn't look like that. And as good as that is, it's not this. There's been a, a kind of a thought, a, an emphasis over the last five years or so, ten years, which says that the job of a leader is to empower the dreams of others. And, and have, you, have you heard that? And I, 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 I totally get it. And yet, the job of a leader has to be a whole lot more than empowering the dreams of others. Because if, we are, if a leader is merely a facilitator, then we have fragmentation. We have a thousand dreams and a thousand directions. A leader is one who produces alignment, who takes a dozen different dreams and says, how can, how can these work together? 
How can we bring alignment out of this thing? How can we, how can we point this in a direction? And a leader leads from the heart. So the focus that a leader brings is, is not, a, not a mental thing. It's not a decision of the mind. It's not a, a personal priority list. It's something which is in the heart. So you can have a committee to list our values. But where the leader will take us depends actually on what's in his heart. I find it fascinating looking at, looking at our bands. We, have, we are so blessed with different worship leaders in this place. But have you noticed how different the style of worship they bring is? Have you noticed that? If, you're pretty doff if you haven't. But they, they come and they, they, they bring this style. And, and Caleb has an inimitable style. There is no one like Caleb. There really isn't. And, and Chanel has a totally other style there. Why is that? Is, is, it, is it because they are in rebellion against each other? It's actually because they can only lead out of the revelation that they carry in their heart. And, and we need to give leaders space. And we, we, you know, we hold a whole lot of things that are dear to us, but a leader can only lead us out of the revelation that is in there. And where they will take us to depends on what is already in their heart. So we could decide as a church that we really believe non-racialism is really important. Or we could decide that feeding the poor is really important. But how focused we are on those goals depends on what is actually revelation in my heart or Graham's heart or whoever happens to be leading in the context. And, and there's, we've, we've, we need to learn how to be at peace with that because someone, I can't get someone else to lead me into my dream. Can we, can we understand that? If it's my dream, someone else can't actually take me there. They have to take me to where God has given them revelation. So Jesus, Jesus is this amazing leader. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's focus. There's a whole lot of things we can do in life. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all this other stuff will be added unto you. There's a harder saying, Luke 14, 26, all about focus. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's a really great text for Mother's Day, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Let's preach a sermon on that one. Hating mothers and the kingdom of God. <laughs> we need to know that hate is a Hebrew figure of speech meaning love less than. Okay, so all Jesus is saying is you need to love me more than your family ties if you're going to be my disciple. That's all he's saying there. He's not saying we must be mean to each other. Let's be mean to Mother's Day. No, that's not what it's about. He's saying if, if you want to be my disciple, there is a focus required which says that you love me more than these things. On another occasion, Jesus says, but I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
hey, Jesus, here's this amazing opportunity. You know, a great doorway for ministry into the Gentile world has opened up. Just think, you know, you, 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 Nazareth is small fry. This, this Galilean trips, that's, that's tiny stuff. Here's really major opportunity. Who knows, you could even get to preach in Rome and, and, and maybe, maybe you could do a miracle for the emperor and, and just think of, of, and Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is, let's get focused here. This is what this thing is about. On another occasion, it says they came to make him king by force. I think this is after the feeding of the 5,000. And, and that great opportunity, maybe, maybe this is the door for Jesus. And it says he slipped away from their midst and went out into a desert place because that wasn't what it was about. That was not what the future Jesus was carrying looked like. It didn't look like a permanent triumphal entry. It didn't look like armed rebellion. It didn't look like any of those things. It looked like a cross. So it's actually, no, it's not that. And, and you, you could be mistaken. You could, um, you could imagine that it was that, but it isn't that. And the leader is one who brings focus and says, actually, this is what it looks like doesn't look like that so that's that's the first thing the leader brings the second thing the leader brings is courage and the leader needs to bring courage because change is scary who finds change scary it's kind of a universal issue isn't it we like what we're familiar with we like what we know we feel secure in that thing and then change comes along and it is scary c.s lewis said that courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. So courage is required for us to walk out into the unknown. It will test us in every possible way. And courage is, is something a whole lot more than just encouragement. Encouragement is good, and we all need encouragement. But, but there is a courage that is something very gutsy that leaders need to impart to us. Um, and, and courage is, is not about, it's not a conviction about how this particular battle is going to work out. Courage is more about realizing who I am and who my Heavenly Father is. Courage is more about hope than it is about faith. Courage is whether we win this battle or not. Courage is is actually I know who I am. Martin Luther was summoned before uh, a court in the German and the Holy Roman Empire to account for his so-called heresies, and he refused to recant, and he quoted the famous lines, here I stand, I can do no other. And that's courage, because he could have been facing all sorts. He didn't actually, as it turned out, but he could have been facing imprisonment and death and all sorts of stuff. So the courage is, 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 is not the conviction that this is going to work out well for me. It's the conviction that I actually, this is who I am. And I have no options here. So Jesus says, fear not, little flock. For the Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Knowing who your Father is, 
and who you are. You are recipients of the kingdom. That's courage. He says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That's the most mind-blowing claim. I have overcome the world. We are the brothers, the brothers and sisters of the one who has overcome the world. We know the lion of the tribe of Judah who has roared and who has broken every chain. And there's a courage in that connection. We are drawn to him. I was at a conference yesterday. Rory Dyer was speaking. Who knows Rory? God, God has done something amazing in him over the last few years. And he, he speaks with a vulnerability and a passion that is increasingly overwhelming. But he told the story yesterday of his father's death. And his father was a huge leader in his own right. Uh, he was a mountain of a man, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. He was not a believer until the last few years of his life. But he went downhill very rapidly. And Rory tells the story of visiting him in hospital, and most of the time he is in dementia, he's talking rubbish, he doesn't know who anybody is, and it's, it's a sad end to an amazing life. But Rory visited him on one occasion shortly before he died, and he was in a brief moment of lucidity. And he chatted to Rory, he knew who he was, how are you, how are the kids, what's going on? So Rory tells him about his kids, and particularly about Thomas, who I think is his youngest son, is that right? And anyway, it doesn't matter, but, but how he's playing rugby and he's doing this. And so Rory's dad said, that's great, you must sow into him, and it's, it's wonderful, and you must, you must encourage him, and you must, you must sow into that kid. And, and Rory has a good time with his father. He goes away, and his father keeps in this lucid interlude for about another 20 minutes after, after Rory had left. And during that 20 minutes, he gets a piece of paper and he writes an addendum to his will. And he says, I, whatever his name is, I can't really remember that, uh, instruct that my estate shall provide for Thomas to be educated at Hilton College for his entire school career. I mean, he's got other kids as well, but actually something gripped his heart at that moment. He says, I need to provide specifically for this. And this is the most expensive school in South Africa. So he makes this provision in his will, and it's badly spelt, and the writing is scrawly, and he, but it's kind of legible, and he signs this thing. And he never was ever lucid again before he died. So it was kind of his last lucid moment was this thing. And after he died, Rory said he did not know how to mourn his father. He did not, did not know how to process the grief. He was too busy caring for his mother, organizing the business, doing all this stuff. But every morning, he said he would stand in his study, and God told him to pick up his father's will this document with this addendum in one hand. And he picked up his Bible in the other hand, and he just walked around his office, prayed every morning. After, I think he said six weeks, God spoke to him. And he says, this is the will and the testament of a demented earthly 
father who hardly knew what he was doing. And this is the will and testament of an almighty heavenly father. How much more? How much more? So here is a demented earthly father who provides education for your son. And here is a heavenly father. How much more will he give good gifts to those who ask him? That's courage. That is, that is the courage of something which grips a heart and says, yes, I can. And I don't know what this road looks like, but yes, I can. And I will do that. And the job of a leader, the value of a leader is to impart courage to us. I need to move on. The third thing is security. And, and I rest, I felt God saying as a leader is there to bring security. And I, I struggled with that because security and courage seem like opposites. You know, if you have security, you actually don't need courage. Um, and, and in fact, courage is, is the opposite of what security represents. And then I felt God say, but what kind of courage does a leader bring? Sorry, what kind of security does a leader bring? What's, what, is, what is the safety that a leader draws us into? And if you're a Julius Malema type leader, it will be about promising you jobs and land and, and somebody else's money and all sorts of stuff. And there's a security in that. But, but that's not what I, as a leader, that's not a security that I can offer you. I cannot stand here and give you the security that you will never, ever be in financial difficulty. I cannot give you the security that you're never going to fall sick again. I can't do that. So what is the security that I can bring? And I think the security is simply this. God reveals himself to Moses and says, my name is Yahweh, which means I am. But wrapped up in those letters, I am, is a meaning which says, I not only am, but I will be there for you. And the security that a leader brings is a security of, I will not leave you or abandon you. And that is powerful because there's a primal human fear of abandonment. Will you also leave me? Will you also go away? And Jesus says, I will be with you to the end of the age. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come again to you. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The hireling is the one who sees the wolf and runs away, but the good shepherd does not run away. He stays. So the leader says, in, in all this change, in, in all the flux of life, in everything that comes and goes, and who knows what next year holds, I will not leave you. You will not be lost. So Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. Um, and we've used these parables to talk about salvation, and that is true. But all these things were things that were initially in the possession of their owner. 
There was a time when, when the sheep was just part of the flock, but then it got lost. There was a time when the coin was part of the widow's coin collection in her purse or whatever, but then it got lost. There was a time when the prodigal son was part of the father's family, but then he got lost. And Jesus says the father's heart is that he will not suffer his children to be lost. And the leader says, I will not leave you. Will I always lead hillside? No. But that's not because I will abandon you. Can, can you see the difference in that? Can you hear that? I'm, th- th- this, I will not vanish in the night. That's not what this thing looks like. That's what the leader does. The leader is here. We, we, we have this thing with connect groups. Gosh, my time. Please give me another 10 minutes I need. We have this thing with connect groups that we, we say they last for six months or 12 months and then we kind of dissolve them and they can start up again. And we did this to protect the leaders of the connect groups because, believe it or not, in Hillside we have some difficult people. No, you, it's amazing what we do. Some of you, some of us are difficult people. So we wanted to provide an out clause for the leaders to rescue them from difficult people. All right, so that after six months, they can say, okay, I've done my bit, you know. But actually, that's abandonment, isn't it, really? And, and I'm kind of saying in my heart, maybe the deal is not that we rescue leaders from difficult people, but that we teach leaders, we equip leaders how to care for difficult people. And maybe that's the issue because a leader does not abandon. A leader brings security. So that is, that's, that's the value of leadership in our midst. And it might be obvious, or maybe there's some other stuff you need to add into this. Maybe other people can bring other stuff. But, but I want to raise the profile of these things and say, actually, we need this in our midst. We need people who can bring focus to us. We need people who can bring courage to us. And we need people who can bring the security of continuity to us. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.